everyone. Welcome to Chapter Surfing. The guest on this month's episode is Liz Andre, who you know from the Dexter episode. And now we're going to be talking about another serial killer who just wants to live a normal life, uh, Yoshika J. Kira from JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Diamond is Unbreakable. Uh, Liz, thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me on, Lenny. Um, really excited we get to talk about JoJo's. Yeah, so I had never read or watched this series and really didn't know anything about it, uh, but you're obviously a big fan. Uh, do you want to just take me through your whole journey with JoJo's Bizarre Adventure? Sure. Um, so I have friends who are gay. Mm-hmm. That's how JoJo's journeys always start. Um, my friend Elizabeth Simmons actually hosts a podcast, a co-host podcast called JoJo's Bizarre Explainer, which is my favorite podcast. The hosts are very funny and very insightful, and they they do explain JoJo's, and this series needs a lot of explaining. <laughs> I think uh, Eliz introduced me uh, to part two, Battle Tendency first, um, by sort of telling me there's a gay relationship between two hot guys, and that was true. Um, so I watched that series. I, it's JoJo's is eight parts, so that's part two. We were talking about part four today. So I think I watched Battle Tendency, and then Elizabeth said, now there's basically a novel uh, with almost these same characters being more canonically gay later on. And so I think my second part of JoJo's was uh, part seven, Steel Ball Run, mm. which is set in a different JoJo's uh, timeline than this one. Um, it breaks off after part six, Stone Ocean, which actually debuted on Netflix. Netflix original series on December 1st. Really excited about that. Um, so yeah, it was Battle Tendency, Steel Ball Run, then I went back to part one, um, which was Phantom Blood. And it was sort of like gay Sherlock vampires. It's very interesting. Um, the, the entire story of JoJo starts in... 1800s England, and yeah, it's just weird. Um, God, I'm rambling. Mm-hmm. I don't really like, I don't really like Phantom Blood that much, but it is good because um, m- the main character Dio, the villain, um, is so mad about his rival Jonathan Joestar falling in love with a girl that he just like sets out to ruin his life. <laughs> um, it's that that is beautiful. Um, yeah, so after that, I went through Watch Battle Tendency again, then part three, Stardust Crusaders. And like almost all people get into the JoJo's journey, I burned out halfway through Stardust Crusaders because it is too long and kind of repetitive. Um, and then later when part five, which is Vento Oreo, was airing on Crunchyroll, the anime, um, I watched it week by week. And then I went back to part four, Diamond is Unbreakable. And then I read part six. And then I read part eight, Jajillion, um, which actually just wrapped up, I think, earlier this year. Um, that's really exciting. Cool. Sorry, uh, that was very boring. <laughs> no, I love hearing, like, the order everybody reads things in, especially with a series like this where it seems like it's really all over the place. Yeah, well, the cool thing is that um, there are eight different JoJo's, and each part is about a different one. It's like a family. Mm lineage so the stories aren't necessarily connected um except that there are some recurring characters who as like the family continues they show up again uh like joseph joestar you know old joseph with the hat and the baby (laughs) the invisible baby he is the protagonist of part two he's the one his boyfriend died and he's just kind of messed up which i think you got the gist of um and he's also a protagonist of part three in his 60s, I think it was, it was four, uh, it was set four years, no, because Joseph Case's son, Joseph Joseph's son, and he was four years old when Joseph went to Egypt to do the thing. Anyway, he is very old and very hot. <laughs> nice. But yeah, he was one of the protagonists along with Jotaro. They were the two JoJo's in part three. I'm realizing how boring I sound. I talk about JoJo's. I'm so sorry no. about that. Every, everyone listening to this just wants to hear a lot about JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. You're fine. That's not true. <laughs> yeah, why else would but, they be listening to this episode? 
because your podcast rules and you rule. Oh, thank you. But I do thank everyone for listening to this episode. So since you mentioned a bit about how gay this is, one of the first things I wanted to ask you was, did I miss anything in Diamond is Unbreakable? Because I had heard a lot about how gay this is. And then when I read and watched it, I was like, okay, there's like some bro love and obviously Rohan Shibe's incredible outfits, but it was not living up to what people told me about like that it would be gay. Oh, it doesn't seem like canon gay enough? Yeah. Well, part four is actually, um, it's really interesting because it is sort of a study of male heterosexuality (laughs) and the dangers of that. Um, But, I mean, I think you saw, like, how handsy, like, (laughs) just together always, uh, Okayasu and uh, Josuke are, uh, the two bros. Um, actually, I was when I was reading the manga, I noticed that the, there's a little diagram of everyone's relationship to everyone, and it's like, Rohan hates the fuck out of Josuke, um, Koichi, friends with Josuke, like, it's the chart, like, diagrams who's friends with him, and then it has pals, <laughs> when it points to Okuyasu, which, I think the word is like, it's something like shin, Shinyu in Japanese, and it's, it actually means, like, friend but in the same way like pals is a really good translation of it actually because it is like gal pals where it's like this is a relationship and we're just like calling it that but did you see that uh did i see the the chart oh no did you see the their sort of like just togetherness like (laughs) when they uh have they have a couple episodes with this character shigechi who's like a annoying child (laughs) um and they team up to scam with him uh, using their different stand powers all together to make money uh, by stealing lottery tickets mm-hmm. and like coupons out of the trash. And when they uh, present the deal to him, they're like, okay, uh, let's break it up 50-50 between you and us mm-hmm. because we're a couple. <laughs> so that's sort of like the textual, subtextual gayness, but also like Rohan really just has a gay aura around him that makes the season... Like, that brings a lot of the gayness to the season. Mm-hmm. Like, did you notice that he's, like, everyone's in love with Koichi? <laughs> uh, for listeners, Koichi is the uh, traditional protagonist of, like, a shonen anime, which is, like, he's the main character. He, uh, a high school student who just meets some tall, weird guys. Um, and, yeah, <laughs> so he functions in the way that, like, any other, like, My Hero Academia or, like, probably Naruto... I've only read My Hero Academia as far as, like, other shonen mangas go, but um, it's just sort of, like, everyone wants to be on his team, everyone loves him, everyone falls in love with, falls in love with him. It's That's, like, sort of the role he does, and everyone falls in love with Koichi. Did you... When did you watch the final episode? Uh, yesterday. Yesterday. Did you know the part where Jotaro uh, stopped time because part of his stand power is stopping time, and, um... He, like, turns to Koichi and stop time and is like, I'm really glad I met you. You're the best. <laughs> yeah. So just sort of, like, the the gayness is kind of, like, subtle, but it's really that the mangaka is, like, pretty notably gay, and he infuses that into not only, like, the way his stories play out, but um, also his drawings. Like, if you look at JoJo's, it's just big buff men. Um, although this is actually midway through Araki's transition from meat walls to, uh, twinks, um, which you can kind of see Rohan serve where he works all of that out. Um, and part five is much twinkier and actually more romantic, um, in a queer way. There are like canonical couples in there, a lot of them. Um, yeah, I rambled again, but that sort of... I understand why it would come off as less gay if you hadn't been fully infused with JoJo's. <laughs> so I don't think we have to talk too much about the like compare and contrast because I think the anime is fairly like a one-to-one. Um, but were there any like changes that, that you noticed that really stick out to you? Um, yeah, this anime is... The really cool thing about the JoJo's anime is um, JoJo's, it had a couple 
like videos over the years, um, but never had a full anime run because it was so popular and traditionally animes, like shonen animes, are made to sort of sell manga. Mm -hmm. But JoJo's is so infused in the culture that like an anime just never got made. But also, it was so infused into the culture that the team that animates it, David Production, loves JoJo's. Every member of that team loves JoJo's with their entire heart, and they are faithfully they faithfully adapted it and um, actually worked with the mangaka Araki um, to shift around uh, some of his writing so it flowed better. Mm. Uh, basically, like manga is produced um, like for Shonen Jump, it's every week you have to deliver like seventeen to nineteen pages, and that's like a really difficult schedule to remember things and hold consistency over. So, um, like, he came to David Animation and was like, hey, can you shift up the introduction of the bad guy of this arc, Kira, to earlier in the series? And actually, the entire uh, season opens up on Kira mm -hmm. cooking, cooking breakfast for his girlfriend, who is a severed hand. <laughs> probably, probably I should have explained, like, a summary of Feminism Breakable a little earlier. Should I do that now? Uh, yeah, sure, we can summarize it. Do you want to... Go ahead. So the story of Diamond is Unbreakable is um, a story about this group of high school teens and a protagonist from a former JoJo's arc um, in a small town. It's a small town murder... The small town's called Morio. Um, it's in Japan. It's a, based on sort of a location, but it's like a resort town. Um, so it's very quiet. It's one summer in 1999 uh, where Joe Taro, the adult in this gang of teens, um, goes to meet his grandpa's illegitimate son, who he has just discovered exists um, while he is trying to divide the estate. So that's his official business, but also um, there are a lot, of, a lot of murders taking place in this town, so he came to investigate that because he has a magic power that is a, a guy who punches really good and stops time a little bit. Um, stands are a lot like X-Men powers, sort of, except they're usually a guy. So it's like if Quicksilver could stop time, but there's also a hot dude that was represented that time stop. Um, it makes sense. They're called stands because they stand next to you. Uh, so yeah, his stand power is Sir Platinum. Um, can stop time and can punch really good, so he's investigating uh, this series of serial killings and um, also trying to like meet his grandpa's son and get him, you know, get all the paperwork done on that in the estate. So that's that relationship, and there's also uh, Koichi Heroes, who is the protagonist that I mentioned earlier. He's about three feet tall on a good day. Um, that's never explained. And then there's Josuke uh, Higashikata, who is the new Jojo of this arc and has just a very large butt. Mm -hmm. And then uh, there's Okuyasu, who is his immediate best friend. And did you like notice how they're always watching Koichi <laughs> from like behind a bush or something? <laughs> like half their stories are like, oh, what's Koichi doing over there? Like. Actually, on Judges Bizarre Explainer, the way they they said this was really good. It was, um, they hang out with Koichi a lot more than he hangs out with them. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's sort of the team of four. And then there's also, because it takes place in a small town, there are a lot of recurring characters. Um, the most important ones are Rohan Kashibi, who is a mangaka and a self-insert of the author, uh, Hirohiko Araki. He can draw manga really fast. And he can open up your face like a book and uh, read your soul. And he's very smart and good at fixing the plot, which is um, a really fun sort of magic power to have. Uh, and then there's Yukako, who is a crazy bitch mm -hmm. in the best way and super hot. Did you like Yukako? Yes, I did. Okay. She um, early on falls in, love with, falls in love with Koichi and kidnaps him, um, which is... One part of the sort of heterosexuality is dangerous moral lesson of this season. So yes, they're trying to solve a series of murders. There's also a ghost named Raimi, who was murdered by the main villain of this arc, Kira, 15 years ago, and is trying to find justice 
for that. So yeah, so, so there's Cure the Serial Killer, um, and that's who they're trying to find. And we as the audience, because um, Araki worked with David Production to pace out Cure's reveal better, uh, we get to sort of follow along and see both sides of that, both his interactions with the outside world and his weird worldviews and um, their stories and little adventures. And it is a lot of adventures um, because they are sort of going around town, uh, finding a new sort of villain of the week. Um, but then, because it's so small, the villain often becomes their friends. Often becomes their friends, so it's really cool. Um, but that's sort of the essential cast. And so basically, it's two kids gotta stop Kira. <laughs> yeah. And Kira's a hand fetishist, and that's very funny. <laughs> he um, blows up women and carries around their hands like his, like they're his girlfriend. <laughs> like they're his girlfriend, and it is sort of fun. Like perverts are really fun, like campy villain to have. <laughs> and it's cool that he's like a straight pervert in a weird way. <laughs> yeah, I really love Kira. Everyone loves Kira. He's one of the best villains of all time. Uh, so I was going to ask who would you, who would be your personal favorite character in this. Can I ask who your favorite is, or can we say it at the same time? <laughs> uh, my favorite is probably Rohan Kashibe. He's really hot and dresses really slutty uh, and uh, really hates Josuke. I should have said at the same time as you. Of course it's Rohan. Rohan's <laughs> yeah. everyone's favorite character. He's the best. He's a little twink with green hair and pen nibs all over. No shirt. Just crop top city, baby. Every every episode, Rohan is bringing out a new pen nib themed yeah. sluttier outfit than the last <laughs> one. Yeah, that was something I really liked about this anime was that they're always in, in different outfits except the ones who are in a school uniform. But yeah, like every time he showed up, it just took my breath away. Yeah, oh. Like, I mentioned that Rohan is self-insert. And Araki says Rohan's not his favorite character, but he has written many stories about Rohan. Like, he can't let this guy go. He... <laughs> He collaborated with both Gucci twice and the Louvre to write some stories about Rohan, although one of them wasn't about Rohan, but <laughs> the other one was uh, Rohan's grandma's magic Gucci bag that you put stuff inside and something of equal value happens to you later. Um, but yeah, actually the cover of Araki's uh, book about writing, it's a manga and theory and practice, I believe. The Japanese cover has a drawing of him and... Rohan holding each other so tenderly. Like, it's like, okay, you, like, love Rohan, and so does everyone else. Yeah. He's the best character. He's absolutely perfect. Yeah, when they introduce him, uh, it does this really, it does this thing I should hate, um, where he, like, sees, like you said, he he comes off like a self-insert, and he, like, sees Koichi's memories, and just, like, starts talking about what an incredible, perfect story Koichi's uh, life so far would be. I'm so glad you noticed that! <laughs> Go on. And I was like, this should make me so furious. Um, but it's adorable. <laughs> it's so funny because the greatest manga artist in the world, the best story, the best manga he ever... He's a huge fan of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. <laughs> <laughs> that's so good because it really does come from a pure place yeah because he's obvious self uncertain like of course we all love him <laughs> Rohan's perfect he's so shitty mm-hmm. like I love he's introduced as a villain he kidnaps Koichi and does some like really weird body horror stuff with him because <laughs> he does like he turns him into a book pulls out pages of his face because he can't get over Jojo's Bizarre Adventure his favorite manga and uh, then, through a series of Rohan kind of just showing up and kidnapping Koichi, <laughs> um, he becomes part of the group. And yeah, from day one, um, when Josuke solves that villain arc by beating the ever-loving shit out of uh, <laughs> Rohan, they hate each other more than anything. Yes. And it never ends, <laughs> and it rules, because they're both the shittiest boys. <laughs> yeah. By the way, Josuke's like a fucking psychopath, and I love that too. Everyone in this show is a psychopath. <laughs> yeah. uh, in this season, mostly, but 
actually, yeah, in this season, it's just a bunch of complete... He punches a guy until he becomes a rock. <laughs> yes. And then he says hello to the rock every day. <laughs> Yo, Angelo! Queech is like, oh, I guess we just say hello, Angelo. Okay. <laughs> and, and, yeah, early on, he's, he, uh, his stand, Shining Diamond, uh, can heal... But it can heal anything. It, uh, like if you, the story I was just about to tell is, um, he can't heal himself, but he can tear a rubber glove into pieces, swallow the pieces, mm -hmm. and then reconstruct them and spit them out. <laughs> well, like, who thinks like that? <laughs> it's really fun. Yeah. But yeah, Rohan is perfect. Everyone loves Rohan, and his outfits are so good. Do you have a particular favorite outfit? Um,. No, I don't think I would I would be able to remember well enough the specifics. Fair enough. It's just crop tops. Oh, and that style of pants were like, how are they staying up? <laughs> yes. Because all of your boxers are hanging out mm -hmm. and you don't have a belt and it's like open at the top, but somehow there's like a hook system in there or something. It's very good. And yeah, the, the pen nib detailing is oh, so great. <laughs> I personally like, I think... I think it might be the, like, Dice Game episode where he... One of the episodes where he hates Josuke more. I, you gotta love an episode where Rohan and Josuke hate each other more and that's yeah. the entire plot. But I think that's the one where he's wearing, like, this white sort of sweater top that's, like, off the shoulder yes. on both sides and then slit up, like, all down. Like, just covered in slits. And I think he had, like, checker print boxers and like a weird like Greek print belt mm -hmm. just beautiful <laughs> god bless Rohan yeah I remember in the final volume like in the final confrontation he's wearing like these boots that just go like all the way up like his boots yeah the boot end. pants yes <laughs> yeah um that happens a lot in uh, Jojo's and it's it seems uncomfortable but it's a great look it's a great look yeah yeah i really admire that like he works from home and lives in this small town but he still every single day just dresses completely extra like a total slut it's like you're not even going anywhere like I I also don't uh don't go anywhere to work and I just wear this exact same sweatpants every day so I really I really admire Rohan and he does it for himself and yeah. like, fair enough I'm wearing snakeskin leggings right now <laughs> Which, I have too much JoJo's fashion sort of going on in my wardrobe, because these are actually a reference to Jotaro's outfit in Stone Ocean, which I actually hated Jotaro um, until Stone Ocean, where he showed up in a long, like, boy band purple coat <laughs> and snake print leggings, looking every bit his mid-40s, and just like, that's a style, that's a vibe, and I'm taking it from you and I I love you and there's my good friend Star Platinum. We've been friends this whole time and I I still haven't finished part three. In any form. It's so boring. <laughs> oh, I also have I said I brought props. Oh. This is my um jerk off hat. Hell yeah. It was a limited print and I actually had a eBay alert set up on these for two years before I got a single hit on this one. It um it's based on Joe Taro's hat in Diamond is Unbreakable. It, uh, one of his many hats. Um, it has a little J-O, Jojo, but the O's a heart, and also it does look like it stands for jerk off. <laughs> and there's a little, um, reverse negative print of, uh, him and oh, Star nice. Platinum on the <laughs> frame. And this is one of my favorite possessions, and I'm really excited about it, and I just wanted to do show and tell because I also don't leave my house and I have this cool hat and it's so difficult to live that way you know yeah if you get a cool jerk off hat you want to show it off to everyone right so what would be your personal favorite uh like episode or just like you know favorite story within this oh um yeah because I asked you because there are a bunch of like different story arcs so I asked you and then you asked me what my favorite ones were and we agreed on the things we wanted to talk about. Um, and then the one that I offered as extra is, um, I actually did want to talk about when Kira becomes, assumes the identity of uh, some 
guys named Kawajiri, um, and he, oh, actually, probably we should talk about Cinderella first. I think that's important. Okay, sure. Um, yeah, so Cinderella is this, uh, stand, uh, she owns, the, the stand owner owns a beauty shop, and it's a, uh, it's a story focused on Yukako, uh, where she comes in and basically this, and will let her uh, change her physical appearance for like a very short amount of time to find love, which I hated. Like I was like, I would never want someone to fall in love with me and then they spend the rest of their life disappointed that my face is never again as good as it was when they fell in love with me. Like that sucks. Oh yeah, the concept sucks, but you know what rules? Uh, the Cinderella stand owner, Aya, the stand user, is a predatory lesbian, and it rules. Oh, nice. Did you sort of, like, absorb that text? <laughs> um, that was not really one of the characters that sort of popped out at me. I was mo- I was more just, like, thinking, like, oh, this deal sucks. <laughs> I wouldn't pay for this. Okay, that's fair enough. I, I also wouldn't do that in a million years, but what I really love is... A, First of all, her, the Cinderella stand has, like, Metro... Is it Metropolitan's the name of that movie? Metropolis. Oh, yeah. I have like, a... just robot titties. <laughs> it is a yes. robot with some cups on it. <laughs> because she was thinking about tits when she manifested her stand. And she sees... She calls her stand Cinderella because she sees herself as a fairy godmother. And her stand is to make people... Make women more beautiful. Because Aya just wants to make women more beautiful and happy. <laughs> and we love that about her. But, yeah, Yukako comes in because she wants Koichi to fall in love. Because kidnapping him kind of made her not... Made him not sort of that into her. She's sort of getting desperate. She goes into Aya's beauty shop and just yelling the whole time. It's beautiful. Oh, this is actually one of the differences in the manga is that um, when she's doing her, like, yelling thing after the, like, time limit wears out, she does cause a huge car accident. <laughs> and there's just, like, cars piled up and people are like, watch where you're going. And she's like, fuck you! <laughs> like, I had to leave Koichi. Fuck you. Fuck, I have... She's so mad. And crazy and beautiful. And perf- oh, by the way, she is so pretty, right? Mm-hmm. Yukako is, like, the prettiest teen girl, and Aya spends a lot of time squeezing her boobs. Yes. Which is really great, and it's cool because it's not, like, male gazy. It's, like, really just truly predatory lesbian <laughs> in a pure-hearted way, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's Cinderella, and that's what I thought we had to explain before we go on to one of the, one of the arcs I wanted to uh, talk about, which was... Uh, so Aya does that. She can switch out your face with other people's faces. And Kira, after being cornered, um, stops looking like David Bowie by forcing Aya to use her stand to make him, give him the face um, and fingerprints of another man, who is Kawajiri. And then he assumes Kawajiri's life. Um, and that leads to him having to hide his identity from his subby-subby wife <laughs> and... Um, his new really creepy son. Liz, okay, I have an important question, and I promise this is relevant and not out of nowhere. Uh, have you watched Succession yet? Mm, I'm watching it probably today, later. I'm going to... Actually, today, later, I'm going to play Persona 5. I'm <laughs> at, the, like, the peak. One, this game is so unsexy. <laughs> and then suddenly... Boy shoots another boy directly in the face, which is the most romantic thing a boy can do to another boy. And it's just like off the rails. So I'm like, I peep part of that. And then I was maybe going to watch a little Stone Ocean, but then Succession, definitely by the end of the weekend, I'm going to start. I'm so excited about it because it's obviously my shit. So t- tell me more All right. about how this relates. So- um, when you watch Succession, I want you to keep in mind that, uh, the plot where this woman's boring husband gets replaced by a serial killer and it just immediately makes her horny as hell is exactly what I want to happen to Shiv and Tom on that show. <laughs> I think the oh. only way they can have a happy ending is if we just get a serial killer to steal Tom's face 
And uh, I think that'll really solve everything. Oh my god, I love this show. <laughs> I, th- I also did believe for a minute there that you were talking about that happening on Succession. And I was like, yeah, I, that's wild that you know this convergence <laughs> happened, but I believe it. That show seems so good, I can't wait to start it later. Yeah, it hasn't happened yet, but hopefully season four. Um, but yeah, I just thought she was, that wife was absolutely living the dream. I was like, this writer gets it that the best thing that can happen to you is your husband, who's just a flop, gets replaced with the serial killer. Oh my gosh. Do you know, did you know how like passive aggressive she was when he like came into the room and she's, he's just like mean to other people and sort of like ignores her. he, He makes dinner which wasn't what turned her on. It was the meanness that did it. And she, she spends the rest of the season just like, oh my God, am I falling in love with my husband? <laughs> yes. Because it's just so boring. And actually, another difference between the manga and the anime is that Kawajiri is fucking hot in the manga. Wait, the... Like, the is the that the wife or the husband? husband? Oh, the yeah. Husband. Yes. Yeah, everyone is definitely hotter in the... Or, wait, you think he's hotter in the manga? Let me look it up. yeah. He looks more Japanese and like oh, less plain. Yeah. But also Kira Kira, the original in his original body, looks more like David Bowie in the anime than he did in the manga. Mm-hmm. So it was just like really shocking to me that Kawajiri is actually the hotter one when <laughs> Kira's like pretty actually brought more props. Kira's pretty hot. Yes. Yeah. Original Kira, especially in the anime, I think, was really hot. And he is based on David Bowie. This is great. I don't I I'm explaining to the listeners. Oh. Um this is a print, it's a little cartoon of Kira doing the, like, eating pussy <laughs> sign with fingers, but it is the fingers on the arm of a dead woman. Did you have anything more on that, um, that plot with Kira and the wife? Uh, I did think that was a, a perfect plot. Oh, yeah, no, it was really great because his wife Shinobu is just, like, she really needed her husband to be mean. Yes. <laughs> and sucks that he wasn't, and... It's actually really affecting. I just uh, finished watching it again right before we started this call. And, like, when her son, at the end of it, like, he's having dinner with his mom. She's like, eat your food, Hayoto. And he's like, uh, he's like, you should eat too. And she's like, I'm waiting for your dad. I'll eat when he comes home. And he's like, I'll wait with you. Yeah. Because his dad has been dead. And he has been aware of this, unlike Shinobu. Um... He's been aware that this man who's wearing his dad's face isn't his dad. And while he never liked his dad, he was his dad. Right. And that just, it's a really like profound child abuse metaphor. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing between Hayato and Kira, which it's really good. Cause I also want like the main, it, it's great and funny that Shinobu is like super subby, <laughs> but also it is this really, that, Sorry. That particular plot is, like, this really potent child abuse metaphor. Um, because, like, the man who looks like my dad isn't my dad. Um, Hayato is this, the world's creepiest child who, like, films. Mm-hmm. He has video cameras set up throughout his home. And he knows how long it's been since his mom took her clothes off in front of his dad. <laughs> And he looks, like, really weird um, yes. in the manga, too. I don't know if you noticed that, like, at the yeah, beginning. Yeah, he's a super weird-looking kid. He's super creepy. At first, at first, I was definitely like, why is it veering so much into being about this, like, really off-putting kid? Uh, but then, like, as it goes on, what happens to him is just so intense and scary. It ends up working really well. Yeah. Um, do you want to talk? I realize I'm just talking about JoJo's <laughs> at you. Do you want to, like, talk about, like how you felt about, like, that sort of storyline and, like, describe it, maybe? Um, the ending? Uh, like, how Hayato's, uh, like, transition into being a full badass. <laughs> I can do it, too. I have this, I have this series memorized. <laughs> um, yeah, so basically as the, the season is sort of reaching its end game, um, Kira, uh, fully kills this kid. Um... And then that prompts uh, the the arrow to strike him again and give him a new power. 
And it's this like weird specific thing of like anytime someone fi- finds out from the kid his identity, it makes that person blow up and also makes the morning repeat again. <laughs> um, and it's like a, it's a really great like horror concept and you see this kid like you feel so bad for this kid because that's such an overwhelming and scary situation but he really like keeps fighting through it and like finding interesting ways to stop him um and he does manage to find clever ways to like slow down Kira and get uh Josuke and the others to to come stop him yes okay you did say the arrow pierces Kira (laughs) Which is insane for anyone who hasn't read any JoJo's. I, I, honestly, I don't think you need to worry about this so much. I think people are just going to skip around to the stuff they've read. Like, don't don't worry about it. But, like, that's the process that I'm, like, up against trying to explain, like, just a small part of JoJo's. The arrow concept was actually introduced in this arc. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. Like, you found out about arrows the same time everyone else did. Um, but it's, like, a magic arrow. Later on, it's going to be, like, a magic space metal like a meteorite fell to earth and that's where it came from that happens in a further arc down the line um but it's these arrows that if they pierce you um you either die or you get your little magic power your stand that stands next to you um and sort of like the stand you manifest is based on your will which is why i said that i uh, manifested cinderella and her huge boobs because she's thinking about boobs when she got arrowed um and yeah, this is going to be relevant later, but um, Kira gets arrowed again, and he comes up. It's called Bites the Dust. By the way, did, are you an intro skipper? Um, I don't think Crunchyroll lets you do that, but no, I'm not. Did you like the Bites the Dust credits? Yeah. That was, it's so good. Like, you watch the show, and the third credits of Diamond is Unbreakable, the third set, um... It's called Great Days, and it's a fucking baller track, right? Mm-hmm. It's, like, one of my favorite songs. And you, like, watch sort of the credits happen, and then when Bites of Dust happens and the stand manifests that can roll time back um, whenever the stand user is threatened, um, you find out that the credits were designed to be played in reverse, mm-hmm. which is just really beautiful bit of business. Like... I don't know, like, there's that scene in the credits where Kira puts Hayato's hat on mm-hmm. him as he leaves for school on the Bites of the Dust day, where the morning is just repeating itself. And then, or, it looks like he's, ta- he's taking off the entire series, and then when Bites of the Dust triggers, you see that he's putting it on him. And it's like, oh, wow, this was really well thought through. Sorry, I got distracted because I love Great Days so much. Um, but yeah, so Hayato is forced to repeat time, and if anyone talks to him about his dad, he will be responsible for their death because the bomb is placed inside of him. Mm-hmm. So it's like, if he feels like he is not protecting his abuser, he will cause people to die, and he does. He kills uh, almost everyone that we talk about, um, that we've talked about so far. He kills Rohan first, and that's difficult, because you don't want to see Rohan die like... He's the hottest person in Mario. <laughs> he has to go to the Louvre later, you know? Mm-hmm. By the way, did you notice that, that Pepsi sign that looks like it was photoshopped in later as a joke? Mm-hmm. It was really fun when I was rewatching it. Today. It really does not look like it was there in the original series, but it was. And Rohan explodes in front of Pepsi sign because he's smart and he opens Hayato's face. And even though Hayato knows that he can't tell anyone about Kira's, like, about Kira at all, Rohan can work around that, and he just opens up his face and reads what happened. He dies, and then everyone else dies as the day loops, and Hayato has to... The thing is that the idea is that fate is fixed, so if someone dies, they're dead forever. They'll be dead the same way in the next loop. So Hayato has to work his ass off to keep fate from existing. And he does, and he becomes a huge badass, and he's there in the final fight like, I don't see your stands! The things you're talking about, because I'm not a stand user, I'm just like a little kid, but I'm a huge badass who saves my mom, like, helps you kill this serial killer. Oh, he just becomes, like, 
at the beginning of this, when I started watching it again a couple days ago, it's like, Harold is so creepy. And then by the time I finished up today, I was like, I want to stab an arrow through that kid's fucking throat. His stand will be so cool. I think Hayato should be stabbed with the arrow. He will get a stand. His will is so strong. It's like one of the things that makes me the maddest about Demon is Unbreakable is that Hayato never gets stabbed. He should. So yeah, that's the entire like Bites the Dust arc. Bites the Dust is the third stand. The second... Kira has too many stands, and this happens sometimes. Stands go creep. Um, Kira's initial stand is probably the sexiest one in JoJo's, but also, like, the cutest. He's like a sexy little cat boy. And it's like, there's sexiness. He's not attractive, but it is sexy. He has, like, bandages, which is so my thing, like, all up and down. He's got a little kitty cat face. He's got a circ, like, an oval over his penis. He's very, he's a man that looks a little bit like a cat. He rolls, he's got gloves, he puts his little thumb down to trigger bombs, which his power is supposed to be just blowing things up. Um, but then later on he gets sheer heart attack, uh, which is a little autonomous robot that can drive around and blow people up. It follows your body heat. And then when uh, the arrow steps Kira again, which is actually a concept that's explored in the next season, it's called the Requiem Stand. It's when your stand gets like plus ultra, like, just super extra. Um, he gets a rewinding one, which is Bites the Dust. Do you get the reference? <laughs> a really funny thing about JoJo's is that most of the stand names, um, even some character names, are based on, like, dad rock. And later on, they'll be, face they'll be based mostly on fashion designers. Oh. And um, there is a point that I'm going to watch on TV, and I think on the 1st of January, probably this episode's going to drop, and Stone Ocean, where... I will look at my TV, and someone will say, um, a character named Sport Guy, or Big Max, uh, and his Stan Flaccid Pancake are attacking, and I'll know in my heart that that man's name is Sport Max, which is a actually high-end fashion brand, which I didn't know about. I thought it was, like, a TJ Maxx riff, but it's not. Um, and his stand is, his stand is, it's, it's named... Limp Biscuit. <laughs> but the uh, the fighting, the designers of the JoJo's fighting games got to localization first, so for legal reasons, they do still have to call that stand Flaccid Pancake, which is... <laughs> JoJo's is so extra. It's wow. really hard to explain to people. <laughs> um, yeah, sorry. I, I meandered, but I did want... I got to talk about Flaccid Pancake, and that's what's important, <laughs> I believe, in my heart. Yeah, do you have any other, like, another... We didn't talk about Yukako very much, which I think is underselling it, because we did want to talk about... This is the Rohan and Yukako Appreciation Hour, I mm -hmm. feel like, or it should be. Um, yeah, the Yukako storyline is really great, because she falls in love with Koichi, and she just fully abducts him to this house... Uh, where she makes him play this, these games where she'll be like, here's, here's a history question. If you get it right, you'll get to eat boiled eggs. And if you get it wrong, you'll have to eat an eraser. And then she's like, yeah, I put a lock on the door so you can't pee unless you put in the, the combination, which is the year Christopher Columbus came to America. And so you, she pees himself. And then he's like, how is she, how is she still into me after this? And, um, like, obviously it's not actually hot because they're teenagers, but conceptually it's unbelievably hot. Um, and it, their storyline is so amazing because they just, like, end up together. Like, in the final episode of the anime, they're just, like, holding hands, and it's a really nice moment. And I am so, so happy for those kids. It's really great. Sometimes JoJo's will make you believe in heterosexuality. It's beautiful. Yeah. Not a lot, but sometimes. <laughs> no, yeah, and then actually that, when uh, Koichi fell about in love with Ko Yukako, she's so good. Yeah, she has, like, nice. just beautiful blush sort of designs on her face. Like, she is hilariously hot. Mm -hmm. And Koichi, again, I said this earlier, he is two to three feet tall. Mm -hmm. A couple characters are two to three feet tall, and it's not like a political statement. It just is, and you kind of have to deal with it. <laughs> when they finally kissed, it's hard to, like, it's hard to be in the moment because you 
do have to like notice that she's holding him up <laughs> so their mouths can touch. Like he's the size of a toddler and she's like an obnoxiously beautiful like woman shaped person. And uh, they fall in love during the Cinderella arc, which I did really like um, the extraness of because like Yukako like gets her face changed to find true love which is Koichi, and he actually, like, does, like, he's like, oh, something's different. They're not falling with Yukako. And then she, because she's extra and, like, doesn't follow any rules and, like, just very self-determined. I like that about her. Yeah. She has a lot of, like, initiative. Mm-hmm. But because she doesn't follow the rules, like, she literally loses her face, which is part of, like, the contract you make in order to be, like, beautiful for forever. Because there's, like, the 30-minute, like, sample mm-hmm. uh, that it was offered in the first run. By uh, Aya, Cinderella stand uh, user, but then she like tries to get made permanent, and it's like, okay, well you have to put on this lipstick every thirty minutes for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, she's like, okay, yeah, totally. If it gets me Koichi, whatever, and she stops immediately, like as soon as he's <laughs> like, I'm into you. She's like, mm, bye lipstick, and her face falls off, and she's like hiding from him, and he follows her to Cinderella's salon, where she's gonna go be Yukako at Cinderella. And just, like, she reminds me a lot of my little sister who, like, will lie to your face. And then you're like, that's a lie. And she's like, so what? It happened, like, forever ago. <laughs> like, moving on. Yukaku's like, so what if I didn't follow the rules? I shouldn't have to do that. I'm Yukaku. And she's right. Yeah. She should say so. Absolutely. But um, then, uh, then Cinderella's like, okay, well, if you can find your own face in these and this, like, wall of faces, then I'll give, I'll put it back on you. And Koichi comes in and he's like, I'll handle this. No, Yukaka says, I want Koichi to pick my face out because he, I want him to see what the face they want love every day they wakes up. I don't care if it was originally mine. And he's like, okay, I'll do that. But also, <laughs> Cinderella, if I pick wrong, will you immediately stab out my eyes? <laughs> Because if she doesn't have the face that I fell in love with, I know she'll never be happy if if I look at her and I don't see you, Kako. And Cinderella's like, you two are such idiots that I'm actually going to break the rule. Her face wasn't even in this. It was a little trick. But I'm going to break the rules. You're so cute together. And then they're, they're just in love. Yeah, they're perfect. And Rohan hates it. Yeah. One of the details I really like about that arc is early on... Um, like, the magic works. Koichi's like, I sort of feel like I'm in love with her. But he's also hesitant because she abducted him and made him piss himself. And then, like, when Yukako is talking to Aya about it, um, Aya's like, uh, oh, I don't know why that would happen. Is there something in your past that's making him hesitant? And she's just like, no, that's not it. <laughs> no, nothing happened. <laughs> And the beautiful thing about Yukako that I actually did get, like, some insight on from my sister, just knowing her so well, is that she she did do nothing wrong in her head. <laughs> and it's fun and have to, like, she did nothing wrong in my heart. Yeah. And that's what really matters. <laughs> like, it's not that she's, like, denying it. It's like, no, I didn't do anything wrong. <laughs> it was perfectly normal. And Koichi's like, you know what? That is normal, and I love you now. Yeah. Now please hold me up so I can give you a kiss. He is so small. Yeah. When Rohan kidnaps him to go investigate the ghost alley where Raimi lives, do you remember that episode? Yeah, yeah, I remember. Where, where Koichi's just standing there and then uh, Rohan's like, Oh, Koichi, I also kidnapped you, like, last episode, but now there's an alleyway and you're gonna come look at it with me. And Koichi's like, you're kind of scary and you just kidnapped me. <laughs> And I don't want, and then Rohan just grabs him and sort of <laughs> carries him around like a kite. Like, he's just floating through the air behind Rohan for much of that arc while they're, like, running. And it's very good, like, physical humor. Koichi is just so small. Yeah. They really, truly, everyone in this manga is just constantly like, well, let bygones be bygones. There's a lot of, um... Moments where, like, all the other stand users show up to just, like, wish people well. Even the, like, fucking creepy puppet master kid who, like, they've talked about, like, isn't a rapist because he can't, like, work up the nerve to do it. But he wants to be. Like, that is 
a thing about him. And, like, he'll just show up and be like, hey, I'm also here, like, wishing everyone well. And everyone's just like, yeah, the old gang. That guy, that kid thought, who looks like he just walked out of a Hot Topic in 1999. It's very period accurate. He does have a stand that is a wooden puppet that looks, it takes on the appearance of anyone who touches it, and it can control your movements if it looks like you, which is really cool. Yeah, and he, he has does, one of the scariest stands. But he does think that he's going to, in part three, Stardust Crusaders, um, Joe Taro, the adult in this group, kills a vampire who's been alive since his great-great-grandpa's time. Uh, Dio, who is from part one. He's been alive for well over a hundred years and has the power to stop time, which is how Jotaro learns how to stop time, actually. It's whatever. Dio's great. Dio's hot. Dio's just really extra blonde. Um, but yeah, he thinks he's going to kill... He's going to defeat Jotaro, a guy who defeated, a, who learned how to stop time so he could defeat a vampire when he was 17 by stabbing him in the eye with a pencil. Because mm -hmm. that's sort of, it's so like intrinsic to his attack style, like it's a very scary stand power, but his move is always stabbing yourself in the eye with a pencil, which I think is just really funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is because... I kept, like, going off on the small town thing, but, yeah, that is a really good part about Diamonds Unbreakable is you keep seeing the same, like, stand users you just saw. They keep showing up in little bits and pieces, um, and they usually do, like, become friends. That guy, oh, yeah. Sorry, by the way, I think his name is Hazumata, or is Kobayashi, and the other guy who's, like, two feet oh, tall. Oh, Kobayashi is the one who has the, like, lock that gets you if you're guilty, if you feel guilt. It's just, Koichi has, like, two guys his height following him <laughs> around everywhere, and then everyone else is, like, 6'5", including Yukako. <laughs> and it's just really interesting to look at. But, yeah, um, what I really liked, actually, about... You said he's, like, he he's not a rapist because he's not good enough. He's not talented enough to be a rapist. But also, uh, he talks about turning his stand, uh, his puppet, into his crush. And even she rejects him, so his stand is, like creepy. <laughs> and I, I really like that bit of business. It's sort of, it's an early exploration of the idea that people have sex with their stands, which w when you get into later arcs, you really do get that impression. Oh. Uh, especially in part five, the main character is like always like hands across the stand's chest. <laughs> like someone's hand is near someone else's crotch. It's, it's really great. And that's sort of the, the, the first time it happens. Someone's like, I think I can have sex with this. I got lost. What were we talking about? Yeah. Ooh, we need to talk about uh, Tonio Trusardi <laughs> and Pearl Jam, his stand. Yes. Um, that was a really great adventure where uh, they they go to this Italian restaurant and Josuke is like super, super suspicious that this guy is a stand user. And turns out he is, but he also just like wants to make Italian food that cures all your ailments. And I want to go to this restaurant so fucking bad. I, Every single time. I need the pasta that cures your backache. I use sour dry eyes. I actually don't know that I'm uh, in treatment for my chronic illness, mm -hmm. but I used to have like the driest eyes. Like every time Okuyasu drinks that water, mm -hmm. I'm just like, why can't it be me? Yes. Every time. I never get less mad that I can't go eat at <laughs> Trusardi's restaurant. And, yeah, what I really like about that arc is it is one of the, like, actually, to your, going back to your first question, it's sort of, like, one of the most, like, romantic, dynamic <laughs> episodes. It's, like, probably the best episode JoJo's to interest someone with, where it's literally called Let's Go Eat Some Italian Food, and they go eat some Italian food, and uh, the two main characters, Josuke Higashikata, and Okuyasu, he has a last name, I bet. Um, but they, they literally just go to an Italian restaurant after visiting Okuyasu's brother's grave, which is like... This this uh, this uh, season is really, like, heartening. Like, it's very deep. Like, it hits you really deep. Mm -hmm. um, and then people go to an Italian restaurant where the stand user's name is... The name of the user's stand is Pearl Jam. <laughs> 
the show is JoJo's, but uh, yeah, they, they, the entire time Okayasu, who like insists they go to the restaurant, is like, I'm hungry, let's get some food, I want some food, that's food, mm-hmm. let's go there. Jessica's like, I don't know, it seems expensive. <laughs> Okayasu, the entire time, is he's getting a meal, and Jessica's like, I'll just have a coffee. <laughs> and he's so fucking suspicious of the chef, who's like, actually, we do prefix meals here. And, like, <laughs> and Jessica's like, well, if the chef doesn't really let you decide what you're going to eat and you don't like it, you don't have to pay. That's how rules work. And he's just so suspicious, while Okayasu, the dumbest guy, like, the dumbest puppy in the universe, uh, but yeah, Okayasu, Okayasu is just, like, the dumbest guy, and he's yelling about, like, as he's eating the spaghetti that makes all your skin come off. He's just like, I can't stop eating it! And just he's like, you're doing something wrong, Tonio. Only I'm allowed to heal Okayasu. <laughs> And it's, it's a really good just illustration of them as characters and, like, their dynamic as a couple and even just best friends. Because, like, even if you don't want to see them as a couple, they are, like, the closest that people get. And it's wonderful to see them because Josuke's, like, conniving and Okuyasu... Okuyasu's catchphrase is, I'm actually not that smart. <laughs> yes. uh, he's so cute. The way he just has a full crisis anytime he has to make a decision is just so precious. He cries so much. <laughs> He's like, con- when Koichi comes in to tell, th- they're, they're sitting in a window of a classroom when Koichi comes in to tell him that Yukako, that he thinks he's falling in love with Yukako and they kiss. And Josuke, extra as hell, falls out of the window backwards <laughs> because he is so shocked. And his stand, Shining Diamond, pulls him back into the window and it pans over to Okuyasu, who is sobbing. Because <laughs> Okuyasu is the biggest crybaby on planet Earth, and he's special and perfect, and we must protect him. Yes, he's perfect. And they just work so well together, because Josuke is, like, conniving. He shredded a rubber glove and swallowed it in case he might need it later. And Okuyasu punched a guy <laughs> while saying, you're the stand user. And then uh, when the stand user they punched was like, how did you know? He says... I didn't. I was just going to punch both of you. (laughs) I'm not that smart. Yeah. Ogiyasu is just an absolutely perfect man. By the way, in one of the uh, Rohan, there's um, a spinoff, sort of. Sometimes Araki still just wants to write a Rohan story, and they're all like little Twilight Zone horror stories, because Araki likes little Twilight Zone, you know, like, uh, what's the word? Ironic. Hmm like, morality st- stories. And one of them, he, Rohan does go hang out with uh, Chef Tonio, who then asks him if he'll come poach abalone with him. And then they're attacked by vaginas mm-hmm. for, like, seven pages, and it's really... The metaphor isn't that far under the surface. <laughs> Like, the abalones do fully look like vaginas attacking two queer men, and it's very fun, and it's later on in Araki's, like, it's written, like, 20 years after Diamond is Unbreakable is, so the art style is totally different, and it rules. I recommend that Spokashibe Rohan to anyone who's interested in this Rohan fella and what he gets up to, um, because we all are. And that, that actually, there are four episodes of um, an OVA based on those stories on Netflix, and that's actually why Stone Ocean has a Netflix original um, deal. Oh, cool. Was in order to localize uh, this book, Kashiba Rohan. Um, all right. I think that's a pretty good overview of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, Diamond is Unbreakable. Uh, let's go ahead and rate them. Um, so I'm going to give the manga Diamond is Unbreakable uh, three out of five stars. I thought it was really solid and fun, and I just, uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed all of it. Uh, really solid read. And then I'm going to give the anime four stars. I think everything they did was just beautiful, and uh, just, like, all the visual choices made it so much scarier and more intense. And, uh, yeah, it, just, uh, it was just a great watch that leaves you feeling really satisfied. I can't believe I forgot to bring up that here a shower scene with uh, <laughs> Hayato, the kid. It is so sexually menacing. He comes in nude while this kid is like in a bath after watching him blow someone up and videotaping it. And Kira like 
sexually menaces this kid he's pretending to be the father to. And it's so... Like, every time it gets me, like, it makes me feel, like, really sick. Yeah. Because it's just so imposing (laughs) and scary. Yeah, that scene is super uncomfortable. My TV actually froze during one of the moments where you're just fully seeing this this kid's dick. And I was like, God, if someone looks in here, I'm just going to go to prison. (sighs) David Production adds in more children dicks than (laughs) actually appears sometimes. Um, On the Judge's Bizarre Explainer podcast, there's actually a segment called Judge's Dick Watch. (laughs) So I'm familiar with how many times you see a child's dick (laughs) in Judge's. Um, yeah, so my, my rating, um, I'm actually just going to shift it up by one. Uh, the manga I'd give a four because it's JoJo's and actually this is my least favorite JoJo. I don't like, uh, Josuke, I don't like this version of Josuke Gashikata as much as I like any of these seven other JoJo's. Um, but I still love them and still really great and it looks great and Araki's sort of refining. The noses are so cute. (laughs) Like, this is Iraqi's best nose period. Do you notice? They're just, like, almost parallel lines. And those can just be, like, five lines next to each other. It's so cute. And their lips are just so... Their bottom lips are always so fat. And precious faces. Um, and it's a really good read. I, I just don't like it as much as, like, the other JoJo's. And the anime will give us full five out of five because... Probably aside from Stone Ocean, although it's currently running, so... We won't get a, a accurate like tally of that, and I've only watched like four episodes so far, even though there's twelve out, because I'm afraid of meeting my favorite character of all time, and in all the judges, Foo Fighters. Um, sorry about the digression. So, Diamond is Unbreakable is probably the very best season of anime, unless Stone Ocean is better, which it kind of is shaping up to be. I give it a full five stars. It's so cute. The sky's yellow, and that feels normal mm-hmm. and right. Trees are purple, and you're like, yep. Trees are always purple. Um, the there are three different uh, theme songs, and the third one is like one of the best opening themes, and also just a banger of a song. Mm-hmm. Diamond is unbreakable. The anime, and because it's so uh, true to the text, and also uh, is in dialogue with the creator of JoJo's, uh, the anime is slightly better than the manga. Mm-hmm. And even I think so. Um, All right. So I like to, uh, when I like the show better, recommend a book for fans of the show. Um, So I'm going to recommend The Dangers of Smoking in Bed by Mariana Enriquez, which is a collection of short horror stories. And it reminds me of jojo's because of how it just takes these like really interesting weird horror concepts and sort of uses it to portray just sort of like being a teenager and uh just about how uh teens are scary i love teenagers getting up to no good right um all right liz do you want to recommend a book it can be a manga or uh you know a regular prose book uh for fans of the jojo's anime yeah, um, I actually remembered that this is part of the show, and I thought about this a lot, and the only thing you can recommend after JoJo's is more JoJo's. <laughs> JoJo's Part 8, JoJo Lin, I mentioned earlier, just finished up running earlier this year. It also takes place in Mario and stars Josuke Higashigata, and Kira is not where you think he'd be. Ooh. And it's sort of, um, that alternate universe that Araki made is, uh, really cool and it sort of reuses like tropes and like character feelings and names um it sort of mixes and matches them and jojo land's probably the best part of jojo's uh if it isn't steel ball run the preceding one part seven is the best it's a road trip uh, across america to find jesus the president of the united states is evil with uh, well, that one actually isn't shocking that's normal it's true <laughs> That's just true. This it's true in the show. It's or it's true in the book. It's true in real life. Anyway, um, yeah. So JoJo's Part Eight, JoJolian, stars another Josuke Gashikata, which whom, if not my first favorite JoJo, Joseph might be my first. He's my second favorite JoJo. His nickname is Gappy because he has a little gap in his teeth, and um, he's the most interesting 
mpreg workaround because <laughs> his two dads were so in love that they became one guy hmm. and i for one think that's beautiful he has four balls because of it it's very fun mm-hmm. and a lot more coherent and it's paced better because it's in an adult manga uh magazine so it comes out every month and the chapters are a little longer the art style is a little more beautiful and the story is more co- consistent coherent and it's just just some of the most beautiful artwork I've ever seen in my life. Um, so yeah, that's Jojo Land. It would be my book recommendation. Also, I do want to give a shout out. It's not a book or a TV show, but Persona 4 is based pretty heavily on uh, Diamond is Unbreakable, and I just played it this year or started last year, and it's one of my favorite games of all time. Um, it's a small town murder mystery, and it's about teens solving crimes and kicking butt, and they're there are gods. All the gods exist in, um, oh my god, Jungian psychology is real, and cognitions of things that humans believe in uh, exist, and you can go visit them, mm-hmm. and you can make Baphomet fight like a uh, like an Optimus Prime, mm-hmm. because humans believe in both of them. It's really cool, um, and the story is like really, it follows a lot of the same beats, and it is sort of that like you come back and see the same people. But, yeah, those, that was my bonus recommendation. I shouldn't have done that. That was, no. that was rude of me to uh, override the rules. <laughs> All right. Uh, did you want to plug your Twitter or anything? You don't have to. Oh, yeah. Last time I was, like, in a bad way. <laughs> um, this time I'm kind of I'm doing better in, in, a, in, in a better headspace. Um, so I will plug my Twitter. Uh, it's... Mix Lizandry, uh, Mix the Honorific, M-X, Lizandry, L-I-Z-A-N-D-R-Y. Yeah, and you can follow me at Lenny Burnham, and you can follow the show at Chapter Surfing. Uh, Thank you for listening, everybody. And thank you for being here, Liz. falsehoods do you want to learn the not truths do you want to go to hell join eric mcadams alea plotney and liam senior as they go to hell we are experts (laughs) is a podcast on the major cast network each episode we take a topic we know nothing about and speculate wildly till our hearts content and then they sort of learn a little bit about the real topic at the end but not too much just a little tune into we are experts Wherever you get podcasts, whenever we feel like posting it. Thanks for listening to the Major Casts Network. Stay fun, stay nasty, and stay major.